Isaac said. That um, indefatigable American philosopher and probably, arguably, the most famous American philosopher of all time, a man named Bob Dylan, he wrote a song. He wrote a song called Everything is Broken. It peaked on the American charts at number eight, and the lyrics are in part broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking. Everything is broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Seems like every time you stop and turn around, something else just hit the ground. We live in a world like this. We live in a world where everything is broken. We live in an everything is broken world. We know this. We feel this. We live this. This is our reality. We live in an everything is broken world. And today we turn to Psalm 2 and find out what the Almighty is going to do about this everything is broken world. Last week, we walked through Psalm 1, which is the door to the Psalter. And the psalmist told us to plant ourselves next to the ever-flowing irrigation canals of the Word of God so that even in conditions of drought, Christians can be fruitful and flourish. The wicked, they will be blown away like chaff. Psalm 1 zoomed in on you and on me and on the individual. Psalm 2 zooms out to see the whole world, this whole broken world. Everything is broken world. And in this psalm, we're going to see that the Son will fix everything that is broken. And we must take refuge in the Son. The Son will fix everything that is broken. And we must take refuge in this Son. Psalm 2, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version beginning in verse 1. I'll read the whole psalm. And then we'll consider it together in four points. Psalm 1, God's word says, Why? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make your na the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. 
For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for help. Lord, as I open your word, I know more than anyone else in this room that what everybody needs to hear is not my opinions. They don't need to hear me opine on all kinds of topics. They don't need to hear my pontifications about this or that. They need your word. We are thirsty, Lord. We need your word. We live in a world that's broken, and we need to see things from your perspective. Because sometimes what we can do is look at the world and see the darkness descending and think, evil is going to win. There's nothing we can do. But Lord, I pray you would help us to see from your perspective this morning. I pray you would adjust our perspective. We who live in this everything is broken world, help us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. First, the nations rage and the people plot. We see that in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. We see broken people making broken plans. Now, the preeminent sign of the brokenness of this world is the psalmist gets to right at the jump. Look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The nations, the people, the nations are mad and the people are planning. The nations are mad at something and the people are planning some kind of scheme, some kind of plot. This broken world is a seething cauldron of chaos and fury. But why are the nations raging? The psalmist asks. What are they raging out? And why are the people plotting? Why are they scheming? Why are they conniving? Verse 2 tells us, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So, the, the nations are not just angry in general. The nations do not just rage in general. The nations rage has a direction, and that direction is against, do you see this? The Lord and against his anointed. First and foremost, primary, the rage from nation to nation is first against the Lord and against his anointed. The people, and pe people versus people rage is first against the Lord and his anointed. The family versus family, the political party versus political party, the person versus person, the first and foremost rage and plotting that goes on in our world is against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the source. So the source of the anger of the world that we live in, the source of the anger of all the nations, they're angry at the Lord and his anointed. Now, we're used to seeing the word anointed, the Greek version of that word called, that we would say, Christ. And so, the world is raging against the Lord and his Christ. The people of all the earth plot against the Lord and his Christ. And so, the psalmist wants to give us a summary of the people's plans and the reason that the nations rage. And so, here's the plans. The plans are set aside for us, summarized in verse 3. Here are the plans that all the nations, the nations put together 
The people put together, what they're going to do is they're going to pool all of their collective wisdom and here's what they're trying to do. They're so angry, they're so mad and this is what they're going to do. This is what they say. They say, let us burst their bonds, being the bonds of the Lord and his Christ, and cast away their cords from us. Now what do they mean by burst their bonds? See, whatever they're saying here is they're saying the Lord and his Christ, they are enslaving us to their purposes. Hey, let's burst those purposes. Let's push those aside. Whatever his purposes are for us, let's push them away. The nations rage and the people plot. Now, why would they want to burst the bonds and throw away the cords? Because, because mankind doesn't want to serve God because mankind wants to be God. That's the issue. Mankind was created to serve God, and in serving God, enjoy life. That's why we're all here. But the raging nations and the plotting people consider that calling to serve God as slavery. They consider themselves to be bound before the Lord and his Christ. And so the raging nations and the plotting people tried to dissolve those bonds of service to God and his Christ. This is an age-old problem that dates back to our first parents in paradise. The crafty serpent went into the garden and told Adam and Eve that they could take the place of God. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. When the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, being that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Since then, the nations have raged against the Lord and his Christ, and the people have plotted against the Lord and his Christ in an effort to burst the bonds of the purpose of humanity set by God and become divine. The nations rage because they do not want to serve. They want to be served. The people plot because they want to do anything besides serve the Lord and his Christ. This, plot, this, this raging and this plotting takes on many forms. And in our culture, we, we hear things like this. Here's what the plotting sounds like. Here's what, when people say, let us burst their bonds apart, people in our world say, follow your heart. Do what you want. Don't let anybody tell you who to be. Burst the bonds. Take what you want. No one else matters. Only you matter. Burst the bonds. Be who you want. No one can tell you who to love. Burst the bonds. Say what you want. No one should tell you what to say. Burst the bonds. Live how you want. You should be your authentic self. Burst the bonds. Be free to do and be whatever feels good. Burst the bonds. And the nations rage and the people plot. The Lord and his Christ created the nations not to rage, but to be at peace. Peace. The Lord and his Christ created the people not to, not to plot, but to be at rest. But ours is an everything is broken world. And so how does the Lord respond to this raging, plotting, everything is broken world? Verse 2. I'm sorry, point 2, verse 4. The Lord laughs. So how does the Lord respond to the raging nations and the plotting people? A belly laugh. <laughs> he 
He goes, really? The raging, the plotting. You see this? He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He does not just laugh, he mocks them. This is what derision means. So do you see the picture? The nations are all worked up in a rage against God. They're so angry. They're seething. They're white hot in their anger. And God looks at them and goes, <laughs> you guys are so lame. That's what he does, right? He laughs. He goes, ha, check these guys out. Look at them. They think they can come get me. They think they have power over me. They, he mocks them. It's like he calls out to his heavenly host and says, Guys, look, come here. Hurry, look. Look, they're mad. Ooh, I'm so scared. <laughs> he holds them in derision. That's what he's doing. Holding them in derision. Now, is it good to plot against a God who can read your mind? No. Is it good to plot against a God who created your mind? No. Is it good to plot against a God who is all-powerful? No. Is it good to plot against a God who is in a place you cannot go? So let's lay siege to heaven, right? That's not a good plan. And so the Lord sits up there and he goes, you guys are fools. <laughs> but it's not an evil-sounding laugh like that was. <laughs> you see, it's tempting for us to look at all the raging and the plotting and the broken system that we live in and feel so very small and insignificant. It seems like might always makes right. It seems like evil is this juggernaut rolling over and steamrolling everything in its path. And darkness seems to be strong and irreversible and permanent. But we live in this system, in this world. But that's not all there is. The Lord sits on his throne and laughs. When you're tempted... As you watch the news, and I think a lot of us need to watch less news, and you're tempted as we watch the news and see this feeling of like, oh my goodness, everything is broken. It is. It is. But we can also listen and hear the laughter of our God. Now, should we be threatened by those things that God laughs at? Should we be dismayed at those things he has a belly laugh over? No. Here's the rule of thumb. When God's worried, you be worried. When God's not worried, you don't be worried. And so all the evil, the Lord sees it at a glance, and he laughs. He laughs. And then he mocks. Now let him mock. We don't need to mock. He can mock. And then his mocking gives way to anger. Look at verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now it would seem, notice in verse 6, we see something that already has happened in the past tense. It says, I have meaning I have already set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It's not as if God surveys the raging nations and the plotting people and goes, I have to come up with a plan. I must do something to stem this tide. I've got to step in and do something or these raging, people and these raging nations and plotting people, they're going to have their way. No, God says, you think you're so strong. Guess what? I've already put a plan in place. I have already set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
Now Zion is both 11 acres in Israel, in a country we call Israel, and a picture of that eternal kingdom where the Lord and his Christ will inhabit and all Christians for all time in all places will be with him in Zion and the Lamb singing his praises. That eternal dominion, which was a former Jebusite stronghold called Zion, it starts when the Lord set his king in his holy place. This king has been installed by the Lord in Zion. That's what the Lord's doing. Everything's broken. We live in an everything is broken world. The nations, they're raging. The people, they're plotting. The Lord, he's laughing. The king. The king is also the son. We see this in verses 7 through 9. Now keep the connection here. Everything is broken because the nations rage and the people plot. The Lord laughs and the Lord mocks and he installs his king on earth. Now what kind of king is this king? Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. So this is now the son, the king speaking. This is not the Lord. This is now his Christ or his anointed speaking. So we have a shift. Now he is speaking and we see this. I will tell of the decree. What's the decree? The Lord said to me, this is God speaking to this anointed one or this Christ. Here's what he says. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this sonship is the most important thing about this king. This sonship is the most important thing about this king. Now when we hear son language... We think biology, especially on Father's Day. But that's not the ideal here. In the ancient world, to say you were a son of something is to say you resemble something. So if you're a son of a, like, if, it, it goes like this. If you're the son of a farmer, you would be a farmer. If you were the son of a carpenter, you would be a carpenter. If you were the son of a fisherman, you would be a fisherman. If you were the son of a Pharisee, you'd be a Pharisee, a Pharisee. In other words, your identity, your training, your shaping, all took place in the context of your family growing up. And this kind of sonship language was all over the Bible. So if someone really wanted to give a criticism or, or say something mean, they would say something like, you're the son of Belial which is the son of worthlessness. Now, this is not saying anything against your father. This is saying something you are. So this is like saying you are so worthless, you must have been raised in a worthless home by worthless people because you resemble a completely and totally worthless person. You are a son of worthlessness. And this is the same thing Jesus does when he talks to the Pharisees and says, you are the sons of Beelzebub. What he's saying is, you resemble the devil, your father. You resemble the devil. So, what we read in verse 7 is this. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This has nothing to do with birth. What we read here is this. The Lord saying to his Christ or his anointed that the son is the Son of God, meaning the Son is equal with God. God the Son, we would call Jesus Christ, was not ever created. 
he was always with God, and he is God. That's what the idea here is. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, this son is king, and what's the scope of his authority? Look at verse 8. This is the, the decree continues. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. So he's the king of the world. He's the king of everything. He's not some regional leader. He's the king of the world. His authority extends beyond the sea, to, from sea to shining sea. He is the king above all things, which means that he has dominion and authority over every age, over everything that is in this everything is broken world. Every person from every country, in every place, at every time, owes this king, who is a son, allegiance. Nobody can say, well, he doesn't have anything to do with me. Now, you can say that if you're American and you look at England and say, the queen, she's got nothing to do with me. You can, you can say that if you think about the prime minister of Sweden, whose name happens to be Stefan Lovin. Now, he doesn't have anything to do with you because you're not Swedish, probably. If you are, welcome here in June. But why are you here? That's the question. You have nothing to do with them because you're not citizens of those countries. But, because you're a citizen of earth, because you're human, you must reckon with this king who is also a son. No matter where you are, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, you must deal with this, this son who is also a king. Now, this son, who's also a king, he's got authority over all the world, and the decree isn't over yet. We read what he does to his enemies. Look at verse 9. You shall break them. These are the enemies. These are the raging nations and the plotting people. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So all those who stand as enemies against the son who is the king or the king who is the son will be smashed to pieces and ground into powder. All the raging nations will be flicked off into oblivion, never be heard from again. All the plotting people will be crushed down into dirt when the king who is the son comes. We will find that there are other things that can be broken that are not already broken. Though we live in an everything is broken world, the sun is going to come and break all enemies of the Lord. Every single one. We can look and see here that the sun promises he will break the enemies of the Lord. He will, in, in other words, he will destroy all evil. He will destroy all darkness. He will do away with all injustice. Once and for all, he will make all things right. Everything is broken, yes, but he will break those who stand against him, yes, as well. So we found that the nations, they rage, the people they plot, but the Lord, he laughs and installed his king who is the son. And finally, in something of a postscript, kind of, we get the divine warning. Now, a warning means 
there's still time. And there is still time. Here's a bit of advice. So the psalmist pulls back and says, kings, nations, people who plot, let me give you a little bit of advice. Let me give you a little bit of wisdom to those of you who think that you have, you're all that in a bag of chips. I'm going to tell you something that you need to know. Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, you need to be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So how can you avoid the wrath of the king, who is also the son? Stop your raging, stop your plotting, and serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. So the son, do you see that? How, he, how the son, even here in Psalm chapter 2, verse 11, the son points away from himself and says, serve the Lord, serve God, right? There's one way to God, right? Jesus. And so even here, written in the Old Testament, we see an echo of the economy, as theologians call it, of the Trinity. The Son points to the Father. The Father points back to the Son. The Son calls the people to serve the Father. With what? Fear. And rejoice with trembling. Now, fear. It makes sense that we would see serve the Lord with fear, but I don't want you to misunderstand that. It's easy to say, well, yeah, I mean, I need to serve this son because if he doesn't, he's gonna, if I don't, he's going to come and kick my teeth in and crush me like a potter's vessel. But that's not the message. See, it's easy. Now, that part's easy. It's really easy to get somebody to do what you want them to do because you say, listen, if you don't, I will crush you. Now, there is a way to control people like that, right? But that kind of control, it doesn't hold and it doesn't last. If you motivate, by people, if you motivate people by fear, all you're doing is getting a temporary obedience that will not last. That's not the idea here. The idea is deeper. The idea is more profound. The Lord has sent his son, who is also a king, to defeat the raging, plotting enemies. We read this in verse 12. Kiss this son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So hidden in that little word, blessed. Here, here is a little picture of the mystery of the plan of God. When you read this psalm through, you get the impression that you need to avoid the rage of the sun, and you should, but that doesn't tell the whole story of the sun. The message is not avoid the rage of the sun because he will crush you. Come to him so that you don't get punished. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. No, this psalm doesn't hint at how we take refuge in the king who is a son. Instead, we know the story. The psalm does not hint how the king was installed and what his coronation looked like. Today, the son is seated at the right hand of the Lord in heaven. His anointed one is seated at the right hand. But at his installation over all the nations, over all time and all space, went through a Roman cross. The reason he can rule now with a rod of iron is because he himself was 
crushed. And that's the mystery. The king who was a son, who will one day dash all of his enemies into pieces, the first time he came to earth, he came to be dashed to pieces. Now this we do not see in Psalm 2. See, I can feel some sympathy for those Pharisees who saw Jesus come and they're looking for somebody to kick, kick the Israel's enemy's teeth in and he doesn't. He's killed. And, and, and I can imagine them saying, wait a minute, if you, if, if you're the son that we're supposed to serve, where's your anger? Where's your threat toward the raging nations and the plotting people? That comes later. You see, he had every right to come into this everything is broken world to destroy these raging nations and plotting people, but he came instead as a servant to seek and save the lost. He didn't come as a king, though he was king. He didn't come. He laid aside the prerogatives of God, though he was God. He came to experience the wrath that ought to have been spent entirely upon all the raging nations and the plotting people. He came to experience the wrath of God in our place. And this is why we can see that Psalm 2 does not call us to cower in fear, slinking toward him. Psalm 2 calls us to run to him because what he has done is he has taken the wrath of God and emptied the storehouse of all wrath. God has no more wrath for his people. And so though we live in an everything is broken world, and here's another reality, we are broken too. And if we did nothing, we would be subject to his punishment, to the wrath from God. We would be subject to that iron rod coming down upon our heads. But instead, that iron rod came down upon the head of Jesus Christ. And now we can take refuge in him. Blessed are all. That's us. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so it's easy to kiss the ring of the sun. That's what this is. It's a picture of royalty. Our Jesus, even though it didn't seem like it when you read the Gospels, he is king and he is royalty. And it's easy to come to this king and submit to him and kiss his ring like we would a sovereign and submit ourselves to him because he submitted himself to the purposes of God. He submitted himself to be the one who would be crushed so that we might not have to face the danger of the wrath of God or be crushed by the iron rod of his wrath. Instead, we can take refuge in him. And though we live in an everything is broken world, we will not be broken one day because we will be with him and we will be like him. And it's for our sake, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we can be bold and we can fear God and serve him. We can serve God knowing that he's not going to waste any of our moments. He's not going to waste anything. Nothing we do for this king is going to be wasted because if he's called us to it, it's worthwhile. No matter what your vocation is. Nothing is wasted. And we can rejoice and tremble. See, when we rejoice and tremble, this is a picture of, of, of when we're so captured and so, 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 so aware 
of all that God has done for us in Christ that we rejoice and there's this physical response. It's not just this mental idea of, I should be happy, let me be happy. But something much more. Something that says, yes, I live in an everything is broken world. Absolutely. And I'm broken. But I have a Savior who was broken but lives forevermore. And I can find refuge in Him. So, goodness, we have a lot to, a lot to, to, a lot to rejoice in. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. See, this King saves us primarily from the wrath of God. We have no fear. We don't have to live in fear in this everything is broken world. We have a refuge. And we must take refuge in Jesus. If you are a Christian, continue to take refuge in Jesus. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, until your last day. If you're not a Christian, you still have time. This is a warning. You still have time. Now, you don't have all the time in the world, but you do have some time. You still have time to turn and kiss the sun. Now, if you're here or watching and you can't imagine what it would be like to follow Jesus because you think you'd have to give up so many things that you think define who you are. If you think, I can't even do that. Stop for just a minute and consider. Consider this warning. Consider that one day the Lord will crush all of his enemies. So there's a choice here. You can either be crushed by the Lord or you can trust in the Lord who was crushed. There's, you can try to take refuge in your own identity, in your own good looks, in your money, in your sexual orientation, in your leisure, in your happiness. You can try to take refuge in those things, but those who put themselves against the Lord and His anointed, it will not go well. You still have a chance. Find refuge in Jesus. And if you're here and you're not following Jesus, talk to a Christian. Ask, what does it look like? How do I do that? If you don't know a Christian, I'll introduce you to some. We have a lot here. Believers, listen. We live in a everything-is-broken world. The nations will rage. That's what they do. What do nations do? They rage. What do nations do? They rage. Always raging. Always raging. No matter if your political, if your political party is in power, the nations still rage. That's how it goes. We live in a world with a broken system. The, nation, the nations rage. The people plot. The world and everything in it is broken, and only Jesus can be fixed. May, fix this. May, may we not be surprised by all the raging and all the plotting. 
But the Lord, he sits in his throne and he laughs. May we continually find and take refuge in him. Not in our hearts, not in our desires, not in being understood, not in living how we want, but in Him. He is our only refuge. We might be able to agree with Bob Dylan when he sings, everything is broken, broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts, streets are filled with broken hearts, broken words never meant to be spoken, everything is broken. We can agree and also say, Yes, Mr. Dillon, that's true today, but it's not true forever. Take refuge in him. Take refuge in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those here who are not following you and do not know you. I pray, Lord, that you would Give them a desire to turn from sin and whatever refuges they have made with their own hands or their own devising. Pray they would turn from that and turn to you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to want to follow you, Lord, and to be able to say, listen, I, I want to follow you and serve you whatever comes. I pray that you would give them frustration I pray, pray that you would give them pain. I pray that you would give them a sense of futility, Lord, as they continue to run from you. And I pray that they would see that there's only one refuge, there's only one safe place, there's only one person that they can find their protection in, and that person is Jesus Christ. He can protect us from death. He can protect us from wrath. He can protect us from all the raging nations and the plotting people. And I pray, Lord, that those who do not know you would follow you. And I pray for those of us who are believers to remind ourselves that there's a lot of places around this world that say, come take refuge in this or that or whatever, Lord. And I pray that you would remind us that, no, our only refuge, our only hope in this life and the next is Jesus Christ. May we be a people fixed on Jesus Christ. Lord, where we Christians are tempted to, maybe there's idols that have popped up or things that we've trusted in or looked to that are not you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to repent, to turn, and to trust. Lord, because there is no blessing outside you, Jesus and may we take a rep, be a people who take refuge in you. Lord Jesus, thank you that though we live in an everything is broken world, we serve a Savior who fixes everything that's broken. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.